Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. If you've been waiting to fill out your primary election ballot, now's the time. Tomorrow is Election Day, when voters will decide who faces off in November for major offices. But there are also more races that could be decided tomorrow than you might realize, like possibly L.A. or San Jose mayor. Certainly whether to recall San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. This hour, we get the state's pulse heading into voting day and hear from you. Who are you voting for and why? Forum is next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Only about 13% of registered voters have turned in their primary election ballots as of Saturday, but that number should rise with last-minute voters at polling places tomorrow or sending in their ballots. California counts ballots postmarked by Election Day, so weigh in if you haven't already on who you want to see face off in November for major offices. Also, there are races that can be decided tomorrow. All right, here to start us off and talk about what's at stake in the primary are KQED's political breakdown co-hosts, Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer. Hey, Marisa. Hey. Good morning, Mina. Morning. Hey, Scott. Hi, Mina. So, Marisa, let me start with you. Just walk us through the ballot first, through the usual big races like governor and senator. So, so Marisa, how's Newsom looking after more than surviving last year's <laughs> yeah. recall? I mean, we said this at the time, and I mean, you know, with the asterisk that we don't make political predictions, but he is in a very strong place coming in to this fall's election. Um, a poll released late last week out of UC Berkeley showed him with about 50% support, but still some undecided. So it's, you know, entirely possible he could get more than half of the support. Uh, the other candidates, um, namely Brian Dolly, uh, state senator from uh, Gerber, who is running as a Republican, and Michael Schellenberger, who's running as a no party preference, uh, were trailing in that poll. And I think that, you know, he and other incumbents um, at the top of the ticket, quite frankly, all look like they're they're headed into uh, the end of voting, as we call it now on Tuesday, and in really strong positions. And I, I think we should say that's despite the national mood that's predicting so much headache and heartache for Democrats ahead. Um, we're just not seeing, at least in the polls so far, that kind of anger being reflected necessarily at statewide officials. Yeah. And speaking of which, can you explain, Scott, quickly why we will see U.S. Senator Alex Padilla showing up on the ballot twice? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Well, of course, as people recall, he was appointed to fill out the rest 
of Kamala Harris's term when she became vice president. So there's one special election to, you know, decide who fills out the rest of that term. He really doesn't have a whole lot of opposition really for either of these questions, but that's one question. So uh, it's that, you know, between now and uh, when the new term begins for the full six-year term. And then that's the other question on the ballot. It's a the primary election for the top two to see who goes on to November to fill out uh, the six-year term for a full, you know, full term for the senator's uh, spot. So it'll be, you know, it's a short-term job and the long-term job, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marisa, you mentioned that Berkeley poll um, and, uh, and how it really shows incumbents doing well. And that's also certainly the case for Attorney General Rob Bonta. Can you just talk a little bit about how Bonta is polling and will who he'll likely face in November? Yeah, I mean, this has been arguably the most interesting statewide race on the ballot, one I've been following closely. Um, That poll showed Bonta in the mid-40s, around 46 percent, really head and shoulders against his closest challenger, um, challengers, I should say, which is three, I think, serious candidates, we can say, running from the right of him. Eric Early was leading the pack in that poll. He's a pretty conservative, I would say, sort of Trump Republican who, uh, you know, is talking about things like being anti-abortion, not believing that the 2020 election results were valid on the presidential level. Um, So probably not someone who can get a lot of support you know, from this very Democratic electorate statewide in a runoff. Um, And that's exactly what Bonta and his supporters had been banking on. Um, I think that Nathan Hockman, the other Republican in the race, and particularly Anne-Marie Schubert, who's the district attorney in Sacramento and is running as a no-party preference, uh, Schubert was seen as a real threat to Bonta in a potential head-to-head. And so what we saw, Mina, was actually folks who support Bonta, Labor, um, and other groups running ads to kind of prop up early to his Republican base. Um, and that may be working or it may just be that the base here in the Republican side is is with the former president um, because, yeah, that poll does have him ahead mm-hmm. of, of the other contenders. Um, and Schubert only was getting around 6%, which is a real big disappointment for her. And others who I think, you know, maybe moderate Republicans and other centrists who have maybe left the party and feel like maybe there's a path for an independent candidate here in California. If these polls you know, hold up. Both Schubert and Schellenberger in the governor's race are just not getting the kind of support they would need to get into a runoff. Hmm. We're talking about California's primary election tomorrow with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. They're both co-hosts of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. And you, our listeners, of course, can weigh in on what races you care about and why. Any questions you have about tomorrow's primary election day, uh, maybe something that you care about that you feel like hasn't gotten enough attention, a race or a candidate, you can always share those thoughts by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. And you can always call us, 866-733-6786, that number. Adolfo writes, when will California stop being a one-party state? I'm tired of Democrat control. Well, Scott, (laughs) what do you think? Could Republicans make their mark in, say, the race for state controller? Well, that's their best bet, probably. Uh, You know, since... 2006, there has not been a Republican who's won a statewide election. That was the year Steve Poisner uh, got elected insurance commissioner and Arnold Schwarzenegger was reelected. And Republicans have just been shut out completely. And Democrats also have a supermajority in both houses of the state legislature. There are a lot of reasons for that. We can go into it if you want. 
But there is one race, and you mentioned it, Mina, the controller's race, which is an open seat. Uh, Betty Yee, the current controller, is termed out. And so you have several people running for that spot. And, you know, one of them is Lan He Chen, who is a scholar at the uh, Hoover Institution down at Stanford. He's a Republican. He worked on Mitt Romney's presidential campaign in 2012, uh, worked for a bit for Marco Rubio in 2016, and he's been endorsed by the California Republican Party. And so it'll be very interesting to see if he can make it into the top two. He's running against a couple of uh, pretty well, well, I shouldn't say well-known, but two Democrats who are well-funded. Malia Cohen, who's on the Board of Equalization, and East Bay Senator Steve Glenn. So it'll be interesting, you know, to see whether it's Chen versus one of those two Democrats or two Democrats who face off in November. But there is some thinking that for a number of reasons uh, that Lan He Chen could be perhaps the strongest chance Republicans have had to win a statewide office in California in, you know, since 2000. 2006. Yeah, 2006, when Steve Poisner, as you say, became insurance commissioner. Let's talk, Scott, about the insurance commissioner mm. race, because it's actually <laughs> shaping up to be pretty interesting. It is. I mean, in this race, <clears throat> excuse me, there is an incumbent, Ricardo Lara, who won in 2018. Um, he was the first openly gay candidate to win a statewide race. Latino uh, has the backing of Governor Newsom and a lot of the establishment, organized labor, very much supports Ricardo Lara. Um, But he's had a string of problems. Um, He narrowly got elected. Actually, he beat Steve Poisoner, who was running as a declined estate candidate four years ago. Um, But since taking office, Ricardo Lara has just had one ethics uh, or, you know, judgment scandal after another. I mean, for one thing, he, after saying he would not take money from the insurance industry that he regulates, he took, you know, a fair amount of money from the insurance industry, um, said he didn't know that uh, it was actually being raised and, you know, fired his fundraiser, that kind of thing. He also had an apartment in Sacramento that he was charging taxpayers for. Um, He accepted uh, tickets to a concert on New Year's Eve uh, in London uh, from from a lobbyist in the insurance industry. And so there's been a long list of things that have just kind of discredited him and put him on the defensive. That said, you know, he does does still have the endorsement of, you know, the Democratic Party in California, as well as the governor and many, many other elected officials, the Latino caucus, and so on. But Mark Levine, who is a Democratic assemblyman from Marin, has decided to challenge him, take him on. And he's doing very well in terms of endorsements. Every major newspaper in California, the LA Times, the Chronicle, down the list, has endorsed Mark Levine. Um, and he's got a you know reasonable amount of money. He's been on TV. Uh, Lara, however, has a big independent expenditure on his behalf that the insurance industry and others who support him are, are using to try to prop him up. Um, and then there is a, a Republican in that race, um, 89-year-old Greg Conlon, who has run for statewide office before. He ran for treasurer four years ago. He does not have the endorsement uh, of the Republican Party, I don't think. But in any case, uh, because you know, we're in a tribal situation with politics. He may get enough votes from Republican voters to make it into the top two, or we could have a situation where we have two Democrats facing off, which will be very interesting if Mark Levine can make it into that second place spot. Well, Scott, just remind us why the insurance commissioner's role is particularly important in California and one worth paying a lot of attention to. Yeah, well, this used to be an appointed position. And in 1988, the voters created this as an elected position. And if you think about it, you know, I mean, we don't come in contact much with anything the treasurer does or the controller does or even the school superintendent. But if you have car insurance, home insurance, health insurance, 
the insurance commissioner regulates the industry, and the job was intended to be sort of a consumer advocate, a consumer watchdog. And there are billions of dollars in premiums that get paid to the industry by, you know, homeowners and car owners and so on. And so it's really important that, uh, you know, someone in that job is free of conflict of interest, has, you know, rate payers in, in mind, top of mind, really. Uh, and so if, you know, you have somebody in that job who is effective, then I think rate payers are well served. And if you don't, well, then perhaps the industry is better served than ratepayers are. So it's, it's one of those jobs that we don't think about too much. They're not necessarily in the news all that much. But in fact, because they regulate that industry that touches the lives of so many Californians, think about wildfires, for example, and fire insurance, home insurance. There are just a lot of uh, places where we come in contact with uh, insurance companies. Well, we've got listeners weighing in on tomorrow's election. Robert writes, here's a little pride for our state. Sending mail-in ballots to all promotes greater civic participation in stark contrast to Republican lies that claim fraud stems from mail-in voting. Let's not take this for granted. Marisa, turnout so far has been low, though that's not super unusual for midterm primaries. But I guess the question is how low relative to others, given the fact that we have made voting easier? Yeah, it's not looking awesome so far. Um, But, you know, to your point, I think that we we're in a kind of new phase of elections, right? We saw during the pandemic, um, California move even more towards universal, I mean, move all the way towards universal mail-in ballots. Um, and also a lot of counties move to these vote centers. Um, and so I do think that people are still kind of figuring out their new voting habits. And I, you know, there's usually a lot of ballots that come in on election day and afterwards. So that number could go up, but it's, it is not looking great um, compared to past uh, primaries in the uh, gubernatorial year, for example. But, you know, not a lot of exciting gubernatorial election stuff happening on this ballot. Kind of a snoozy yeah. election. But it ain't too late. And that's why we're exactly. talking about California's primary election and going through the ballot. We'll have more after the break. Listeners, stay with us. This is Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. Best-selling author Amor Tolls joins us. His latest book is The Lincoln Highway. And we want to hear from you. How have his novels and their characters affected you? You can share your thoughts and questions for him ahead of time by emailing forum at kqed.org or by leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300. 
This hour, we're talking about California's primary election in the biggest state and city races, which we'll get into now. Marisa Lagos is with us, politics correspondent for KQED, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. And joining us now is Rafe Sunnenshine, executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles, a nonpartisan public affairs center. Rafe, really glad to have you on. Thanks. Good, Good to be with you. Before the break, we were talking about low turnout for this election. Are you feeling like this will hold true for L.A. County, even with some of the exciting things going on there? Well, it's very exciting to everybody except the voters in L.A. County. The turnout is running behind the state, and I, I was cracking up a bit at hearing how elected officials statewide are not in a lot of trouble statewide. In L.A., they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, it's a very unhappy city right now. Mm-hmm. And that's playing out in everything but voter turnout. In other words, it's not leading to a big surge. This could be a record-breaking low turnout in L.A. city and county. Wow. And what does that mean? Like, what impact could that potentially have, do you think? Well, it really makes you worry about whether we can rely on polling about how the candidates are doing at this late stage, because so many of the polls have what's called a likely voter screen, which is based on who they think is going to vote. And if the numbers are a lot less than that, then we have to be a little skeptical about some of the horse race numbers and wonder whether it's even possible for someone to get a majority in the primary, which unlike the state, if you win a majority in the primary in LA city and county, you don't go to November. There's no November runoff if somebody gets a majority. So could that happen in the mayor's race? Well, it's a long shot. And I'm kind of on one end of thinking we should always look at what the long shots are. If the turnout is just catastrophically low, then the percentage each candidate has in their base gets divided by the actual number of votes, not the number of likely voters. And that could elevate one of the two candidates into the 40s. Right now, they both seem to be in the mid to high 30s. And then it's a matter of kind of random motion. I think it's unlikely. I honestly think it's unlikely. But I don't think it's impossible if the turnout is just way, way lower than we imagine. Hmm. Well, the two that people are predicting would make a runoff are, of course, Representative Karen Bass and Rick Caruso. Talk about both of these candidates for us. They seem quite different and would take L.A. in different directions. Yes, and in some ways, if there is a runoff, it's going to be one of the most interesting elections in L.A. probably since 1993, when a Republican businessman, Richard Reardon, beat a liberal Democrat, Mike Wu, also in a very tough time in Los Angeles. They couldn't be more different. Um, Obviously, the money is on the side of Rick Caruso, a businessman who has been outspending Karen Bass by roughly an 11 to 1 margin going into the primary Mm -hmm. and has rocketed from very little recognition to either the leading candidate or obviously one of the two. And then you have Karen Bass, a lifetime of experience in the community and in public office, who, unlike the other candidates in the mayor's race, withstood this kind of shock and awe campaign from Rick Caruso and has held on to her base. So the two surprises are a rocket knocking over walls. That's probably a metaphor that doesn't really hold up very well. And one wall holding up, which is Karen Best. The other candidates have all largely gone by the wayside. And Rick Caruso's had the two best issues of the campaign, which is voter frustration over homelessness and crime. And he has stuck to that with a lot of discipline, which will be harder to do if there's a runoff going many months. 
Is that what you mean when you say that this is a really difficult time or a hard time for the city? Those are the two issues that are really top of mind for people? Yes, and it's more than that. I think the condition of the city literally in terms of the streets and sidewalks and roads and amenities, um, you just see voters very unhappy. I think the overwhelming one, even more than crime, is homelessness because the voters feel that they supported measures to spend a lot of money around the homelessness question. And even though a lot has gotten done, new people keep coming into homelessness and uh, the presence of homelessness is a, is just a, a sign of things not going well at all. And crime has gone up somewhat. The perception of it is higher. But don't assume that the voters know which side they think will do a better job on homelessness or crime because the voters, as we saw in the recent LA Times uh, Berkeley poll, are divided about policing, whether having more police should overwhelm the reform agenda. Uh, LA voters are very much for reforming policing and for public safety. So it's a kind of a complicated time, but it's an unhappy time. Yeah, well, it'll be the mayors who are focused on that. And then countywide, of course, it will be the sheriff who will focus as well in terms of how to interact with Los Angeles's unhoused population. And can you talk a little bit about that race? There have been there's been some interesting reporting around concerns, of course, about crime figuring into the race for L.A. sheriff or whether or not to keep the current sheriff, but also questions about how he's been running things. Well, this this sheriff, Alex Villanueva, was elected four years ago with a lot of Democratic and liberal support, thinking that he would be a, a policing reformer, which, of course, he turned out not to be at all. And he's been a wildly controversial sheriff. But one thing he manages to do is he manages to monopolize all the media coverage about the sheriff's office, even when it's negative coverage under the principle that there's no such thing as bad publicity. In that sense, it's different than the Caruso campaign, but it has kept five major challengers from getting much recognition. The problem for Villanueva is that if he's forced into a runoff against one of those candidates, it would be much more difficult for him not to be held accountable for a lot of the things he's said and done. And I think he may have a difficult time. The question is, has he so much obscured his opposition that he might get over 50% and not have to face a runoff. What do you mean by so much obscured his opposition? Like, because they're so unknown and so split? <clears throat> well, it's that they're so unknown because he just manages to get in the news all the time. Uh, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's for things that are just wildly outrageous that you would sort of wish your sheriff didn't do. But then when you ask people who's running, they say, well, I don't know, the only one I've heard of is the sheriff, Alex. And that might be enough I don't know that it's enough to win a runoff, though. Yeah, well, we are talking with Rafe Sun and Shine, Executive Director of the Papon Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State LA. Can you just remind us who are, who would you say is his biggest challenger or biggest challengers? <laughs> well, there's the uh, police chief, uh, Luna from Long Beach, is probably the leading challenger. There's a top commander, Vera. Uh, who kind of broke with Villanueva. Uh, Strong is running from uh, kind of a more progressive platform. Uh, Rambo is the uh, LAX chief, but all but Luna have played a role in the sheriff's office in the past. So he's really the outsider. I'd say if I was guessing who might emerge, it would be uh, Luna coming in from Long Beach. 
Well, we've got listeners weighing in as we continue to the conversation with Scott Schaefer, Senior Editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Marisa Lagos, Politics Correspondent for KQED, about tomorrow's primary election day. Todd tweets, I'm really hoping San Francisco resists a strong slide to the right and votes yes on good government reforms and no on the Boudin recall so that we can maybe someday have accountability for the SFPD and for wage-stealing employers. Marisa, when you hear sort of Rafe talking about some of the things that are concerning LA voters, that could help Villanueva. <laughs> um, are you hearing parallels in San Francisco? Absolutely. And, and I yeah, think, related to Boudin. Yeah. And I and I, I actually want to just step back uh, to something Rafe's hitting on that I think we're seeing reflected locally, statewide and nationally, which is this real tension between fears about crime and criminal justice um, and sort of what's happened over the past few years during the pandemic when we did see really an unprecedented spike, particularly in murders, um, while some weird trends around property crimes kind of going in different directions. Um, And, you know, you have to couple this all with what's happened the last few years, which was the 2020 murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the, you know, real civil unrest um, and movement that happened in its wake. And I think, you know, Going back even further, Mina, the criminal justice reforms that have been embraced both in California and in cities across the nation because of the prison crowding and sort of tough on crime laws, the legacy out of the 90s. And I think what we're seeing now is a real tension between the move away from just lock them up policies um, and the idea that there still needs to be accountability. And, And you're seeing that play out. In this recall of Chase Boudin, um, in another potential recall in L.A. we haven't even mentioned, which is uh, the recall attempt of their D.A. down there. Um, what I would say as someone who's been watching this for the last 15 years when it comes to criminal justice is I don't think it's I think there's a backlash. I don't think it's necessarily as strong or or that we can say it's as strong as we're seeing kind of some of the punditry around it yet. Um, Mm. Clearly in LA, Caruso is writing that along with his billions of dollars to a strong place. But when you ask voters um, around California in polls about policies, they still really support a lot of the things that people like Chase Boudin are doing. So I'm not saying that you know, that means that we're not seeing any backlash. But I think we have to be careful not to kind of overstate it. Like I was really struck interviewing the Republicans and independent uh, challengers to the attorney general at how even the most conservative Republicans are talking about things like rehabilitation. I mean, that wasn't even on the table 10 or 15 years ago, right? Democrats were lining up to be the toughest on crime. And so I think what we're seeing, you know, like take a Karen Bass candidate, she and really London Breed here in, in, uh, Uh, San Francisco as well, is they're trying to kind of navigate a path in the middle of that where they're saying, you know, we do want to increase the police budget and, and, and fill out the ranks because a lot of these departments are understaffed right now. And we also want to invest in other things, um, which is what voters say they want, but it's not always a, a straight line from here to there. Sure. In terms of the reason that the nuances might be getting lost, though, isn't it in part because of the national attention that uh, 
the recall election of Chesa Boudin has gotten and how national pundits are trying to frame this. Yeah. And I think that, like, again, I'm just trying to be careful about this myself because I've watched this all. I mean, in any election, there's going to be sort of broader win, you know, political wins that are going to impact it. And then there's always the individuals, right? I mean, Chesa Boudin, as a candidate, was always very controversial. He was a public defender. His parents spent decades in prison for their part in a robbery that led to the murder of police officers. Um, You know, I think that we see a lot of law enforcement groups who have always opposed these criminal justice reforms seeing an opening both here in L.A. and elsewhere. And they're taking advantage of it because that's politics. So I I, I agree. And I, I just I mean, seeing over the weekend, we saw literally every national paper do a big analysis saying what would the recall of someone like Chase Boudin mean for the national movement? Um, and I think that obviously we have to keep an eye on that, but we also have to just acknowledge like the 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 individual circumstances of every single election. I mean, there's a couple other DA elections here in the Bay Area that are really turning more on questions of police accountability. Should a DA be prosecuting police officers? That's certainly part of the Chase of Boudin discussion, but I think it's gone way beyond that to encompass a lot of other really fraught areas, um, you know, and Again, like we've seen in the past, a lot of anecdotal sort of evidence being used to try to really paint um, a specific picture against Chase Boudin in this case. Mm. Well, listeners, if you have a race that you care about or have questions about tomorrow's primary or about the candidates that we're talking about or the issues that people like Chase Boudin are facing, you can weigh in by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum or by calling 866-733-6786. Mike writes, since I live in Marin, I can't vote in San Francisco, but am rooting for Chase Boudin, among others. Boudin is principled and working to implement changes I believe are ahead of their time. Time. Or another question, any names that jump out on this ballot as an eventual successor to Senator Feinstein? So any thoughts on that, uh, Scott Schaefer? Well, <laughs> Every I mean, one of them I, would like to, maybe? I would say that uh, if Karen Bass loses her race for mayor in Los Angeles, I mean, the governor, Gavin Newsom, if he makes an appointment, which would only happen if Dianne Feinstein steps down before the end of her term at the end of 2024, he has said he would appoint a black woman uh, to be the U.S. senator. Now, could be London Breed, could be Karen Bass, could be Barbara Lee. There's a number, it could be Holly Mitchell in, in Los Angeles. I mean, there's a number of women, but I think that, you know, certainly uh, that is an op, that would be a possibility, but that's really just, you know, real speculation at this point. Um, you know, I think uh, there are people who are lining up to run, uh, like uh, Adam Schiff, the Congress member from Southern California, as well as Ro Khanna, who is a you know the South Bay, uh, Silicon Valley Democrat, uh, very much seems to be interested in that. So I, I you know, I, no one has declared that it would be a little tacky to do that, given that she's still there. There have been a lot of reports about her effectiveness as the senator, given her age and other things. But, um, you know, no one, as I said, has really staked out that job publicly. But clearly a number of people are kind of raising money and uh, thinking about it. Let me go to caller Ellen in Ventura. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Uh, I'm interested in a race that no one is talking about at all. No one's even heard about. How about county clerk, recorder? Oh, you mean assessor? Yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. That position also is the registrar of voters in Ventura County. And hidden, not endorsed by anyone, 
is the assistant in the office, Michelle Asensione. But she's being overwhelmed by a candidate who seems to have some ties to the Trump organization, is spending massive amounts of money to become the registrar of voters. No one's looking at the race. It's nonpartisan. Nobody endorses. Nobody doesn't endorse. And so a Hinden candidate with no experience in elections, but strange ideas about voter registration. He's running a big campaign, door knockers, signs on the freeway side. And the person who's really qualified, who's in the assistant in the office, is running and no one's ever heard of her. Uh, thanks. Um, Scott, can you take that? Well, yeah, I'm not so familiar with the Ventura County situation, but that sort of dynamic is happening in other counties. It's happening in Shasta County, where the longtime clerk recorder election official up there uh, is facing a challenge from somebody who believes the election was stolen in 2020. A similar sort of thing is happening in Nevada County, uh, which was a purple county. It went for Joe Biden in uh, 2020. But you do see, and, and that's the same thing is happening across the country for that matter, uh, where you see people who are you know, election uh, big lie supporters and that sort of thing running against uh, people who do have experience, who who are nonpartisan or at least, uh, you know, just interested in running a clean, fair election, being challenged by people who, you know, maybe have a different agenda. So um, I don't like I said, I'm not familiar with that particular county, but it is happening, I know, in other counties in California. Well, Ellen, thanks. Let me quickly see if I can squeeze in Amy in Burlingame. What do you care about, Amy? Amy, are you there? Uh, yes, yes, Go I ahead. am. Thank you so much for having me on air. Uh, I'm calling from Burlingame, San Mateo County, and um, I'm interested in talking about the congressional race in our district with Jackie Spears' retirement. There's really only one candidate to represent our newly configured district in Washington, in my view, and that's Emily Beach. She was a military veteran, and she's a former Silicon Valley sales executive. She also served as our mayor of Burlingame during the pandemic. She was a working mother during COVID and truly gets families' needs. I got to know her when I was volunteering on city committees during her service as mayor. And she's a thoughtful neighborly leader who has an outstanding track record as a local executive. Well, Amy, thanks. Appreciate you talking about Emily Beach. Pam writes our important Alameda County primary races tomorrow for district attorney and sheriff. For the first time, incumbent, very conservative Sheriff Ahern has a challenger from within the sheriff's department. Deputy Sheriff Yesenia Sanchez took over the county jail after a lot of scandal involving Ahern and is running against her boss. Interesting and important race. It's always interesting to hear what gets people voting, especially in a midterm primary. And we will hear more from you listeners after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's primary election tomorrow in the biggest state and city races. We've got Rafe, Sun- Rafe Sunshine with us, part of the nonpartisan public affairs center called the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles, executive director of that. Scott Schaefer and Marisa Lagos are co-hosts of Political Breakdown, KQED's Political Breakdown show. Scott is the senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Marisa is the politics correspondent for KQED. You, our listeners, are weighing in with what races, issues you feel hasn't gotten enough attention or questions that you have about the primary. And Kristen writes, I have seen candidates for controller tout that they are pro-choice and will protect a woman's right to choose. While this is important to me, I have no idea what the state controller has to do with protecting a woman's right to choose. Is this just a plea for votes from pro-choice California voters? No. Rave, I don't know if you want... Oh, Marisa, you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, if you talk to Democrats, they will say that the controller controls the po- the purse strings, and we are passing a lot of laws to help support um, both Californians and potentially out of state uh, folks to get abortion access in the case that Rosa returned. So I have heard Democrats warn that if you elected an anti-choice Republican, that they could potentially try to cut off the money flow to uh, fund abortions. Um, clearly, that would end up in court. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't think it's probably the most important thing, but it's not completely irrelevant, especially in this moment. And I would add, I think it's also being used by Democrats to try to mobilize voters, you know, to try to get them interested in voting, because obviously that is an issue with the Supreme Court poised to possibly strike down Roe v. Wade, an issue that, you know, and we're seeing that play out also in all kinds of races, uh, congressional races, races where uh, some cases it could be an issue and many cases where it isn't an issue. I would argue controller is, you know, probably not going to get involved in something like that. I, Marisa, do you remember his line? I don't, we didn't ask Lon He Chen. He was on our show. We didn't ask him specifically about abortion rights, but I'm pretty sure he supports, don't sure say that. He may not have sorry. said, I know he wouldn't say whether he voted for Donald Trump. Um, so I just don't recall if we've actually said that. But mm. anyway, it is it is clearly top of mind for a lot of voters, as is guns, something we haven't talked about. Yeah, he it put is, out a pretty yeah. mealy mouth statement when when that draft opinion was leaked, saying, I will be singularly focused on standing up for taxpayers and bringing fiscal transparency. <laughs> I would have neither the power nor inclination to change California laws regarding abortion. So that doesn't say a lot. Yeah. Well, Rafe, you've described this primary as the calm before the storm, the storm potentially being at least in part um, thundering because of Roe being as it is expected to be overturned this month or being overturned or severely weakened. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, whether or not or what role you think it'll play in November? I think we're underestimating how big that role is going to be. I think every office holder at every level is going to be asked to answer their opinion, not just about Roe versus Wade, but about issues going forward. Um, and I think it's going to be the issue of the fall elections because it's going to, it, it will drive turnout. I think guns will drive turnout. I think a lot of what we used to call social issues that I know Democrats nationally have shied away from uh, for reasons that someone may explain to me someday. I think they're going to be dragged into seeing the potential this has of defining a host of other issues that abortion rights and and the choice versus pro-life positions really implicate. I think this is going to make the November election the mirror image of this orphan primary that nobody seems to care about. And don't forget also that California has moved all of the voter initiatives 
that are done by signature to the general election. So there's nothing ever interesting anymore on the primary. It's all going to be in November. But I think abortion is going to be the defining issue of American politics for the rest of this year. And I think that's going to nationalize the L.A. campaigns. And I think the county and city races are going to be really drawn into the partisan battle, battle royal, for which abortion will be the centerpiece. Uh, Scott, you wanted to add something here? Yeah, regarding the controller's race, you know, whether or not the controller really does have a, an impact on funding for, you know, women's reproductive health. You know, Lon Hee Chen did work for Mitt Romney and for Marco Rubio, two Republican candidates for president who were very much anti-abortion. Uh, and so I don't think it's completely out of the realm or unfair to ask him, like, what is his position on that? And uh, as Maurice has said, he's sort of dodged that question. Uh, he's probably doing that in part because he doesn't want to alienate Republican voters. But nonetheless, I, I do think, uh, as, as Rafe suggests, this is going to be an issue that a lot of candidates are asked about, whether or not it's directly related to their job. Well, we've got more calls and comments coming in. A couple are along these lines. Rosanna writes, one needs several degrees to understand the way that the propositions are worded. If we want to encourage voting, it's imperative that we make the questions on propositions easier to read. Who's in charge of writing these questions? How can we make sure they do a better job? Steve writes, I'm lackluster about the election because I don't know anything about the candidates. Why can't we have a system where candidates are required to state how they would vote on a variety of issues, then have an app where voters answer the same questions, and it shows how closely each candidate matches your viewpoints. Media could follow the winners to assess their fidelity to their choices. You know, Rafe, one of the things I read, I think it was in an LA Times piece, were voting experts really saying that, yes, part of what might make uh, might make voting hard for, for Californians is the fact that it's hard to be really informed about everything that's on the ballot, especially with our top two primary system and so on, making for a very long and crowded ballot. Well, I think your caller is exactly right in hitting a nerve. This stuff should be democratic with a small d. We should all be able to instantly have the information we need to make a decision. Part of that might be starting to ask voters what information they need instead of just serving them a meal of what we think you know, a bunch of good lawyers could come up with. Um, I don't understand why ballot measures are not written by uh, middle school and high school teachers um, who could basically try it out in their classes and say, does this make sense? What would this do? I don't know that you can tie down candidates to how they will vote because circumstances change later on, but we could get a lot more information from them than we get. Mm -hmm. And you know, some of them participate in debates, some of them don't. The debates don't always ask thorough questions. I would like to see voters have a chance to help guide us on what they need to know in order to feel empowered. And people don't know the rules. And I don't think the top two has done us much of a favor in terms of the confusion that voters are experiencing this year, say, between L.A. and the state rules. It it's, it's, should be very simple. Well, Thomas is telling us what Thomas wants to know, which is, please discuss the California Superintendent of Public Instruction election. Marisa, can you talk about that one? 
Yeah. So Tony Thurman is the incumbent. He's a former state lawmaker and I would say sort of the establishment candidate. He's also the only one who's raised any money um, or a significant number of endorsements to speak of. But there's two other candidates that have at least gotten some newspaper endorsements. I'll mention Lance Ray Christensen, um, who talks about sort of opposing teacher unions, but wanting to support teachers um, and a special education teacher, Marco Amaral from San Diego County. Um, you know, this is a job that <laughs> Scott kind of no- noted earlier. I don't think we all have a great understanding of what they do. I mean, they're supposed to help lead education policy uh, at the state level. Um, they, you know, the Department of Education hands out billions in, uh, you know, contracts to different vendors and, and things like that. Uh, Tony Thurman got a lot of flack over the last few years. Um, for a couple hires he made to kind of allies who ended up like living out of state during the pandemic and maybe not being um, the best suited. And I think there's a lot of questions about where he was during, of course, that awful year when schools were essentially shut down for almost in a, for in most cases for an entire year. Um, but even given that sort of opposition to Thurman, I think by some folks and, you know, things like the local school board recall we hear we saw here in San Francisco that was wildly successful. Um, there isn't, yeah, a lot of attention being paid to this race. And other than sort of the existing groups propping up Thurmond, we're not seeing a lot of money or um, kind of, you know, other types of attention being paid to it. Hmm. Well, this listener tweets, all candidates should be asked about Trump for or against on the record. Prevaricators need not apply. Uh, this tweet's actually reminding me of a pretty interesting race uh, in Orange County, Scott, where Republican Congress member Young Kim has spent a ton of money recently trying to keep her seat. Can you help us understand why I thought redistricting made her district more Republican? Well, so she uh, flipped that seat in 2020. Democrats uh, flipped it from Republican to Democrat, and then it went back to Republican. Young Kim beat uh, Gil Cisneros, who was the first-term congressman down there. And it has been redistricted. And, uh, you know, the new one is mostly L.A. County. The old district where she was elected in had parts of Orange County and other, I think there was a little bit of, I don't know, another county, I'll just say that. Um, And so this has been kind of a sleepy race up until now, um, in part because people assumed that, you know, this is she's the kind of candidate the Republicans love to promote. She's a, she's from uh, South Korea. She's an immigrant. She's a woman. Um, but what's happened is this other Republican who has been really re- below the radar, Greg Raths is his name, quite conservative, well-known down there in Mission Viejo, which is the largest city in the district, uh, suddenly, uh, the GOP seems to be spending money to prop up Kim, and that maybe perhaps there's some polling that shows that she could be in trouble of him siphoning off enough of her votes that you know she could end up in third place, and that would be a disaster for well for a young Kim certainly, but also for Republicans' hopes of taking over the House. I mean, each you know each House seat matters, but uh, this is one of the ones that uh, you know Democrats have some hope in capturing in the fall, along with some others uh, down there and up one in L.A. and one in the Central Valley. So mm. it's just like I think a panic uh, on the part of uh, the mainstream Republicans like you know Kevin McCarthy, who now worry that young Kim could get knocked out in that uh, top two primary. Right, right. Uh, her opponent, Greg Rath, is going after Kim for voting to censure Trump and to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from committees. Valadeo voted to impeach Trump in the Central Valley, but he's doing okay, Marisa. We just have a quick 30 seconds here before we 
do a quick break. Yeah, I mean, it's looking, it's been looking very likely that Rudy Salas, the Democratic challenger, and he will end up in a runoff. Um, but Valadeo has always done the impossible in that district and kind of managed to to hold on as a Republican, even with the Democratic uh, registration advantage. So we'll see. We are talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, also co-host of Political Breakdown. Also, Rafe Sun and Shine is with us, executive director at the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. And uh, this is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. All right, and let's go to some more calls now. Let me go to Mickey in Berkeley. Hi, Mickey. Hi. Um, I just want to lift up even more strongly the absolute necessity of getting rid of um, Greg Ahern as sheriff in Alameda County and voting for Yesenia Sanchez, who has the only chance of winning. There have been 58 deaths over 50 Alameda County jail in the seven years. That's twice the national average. 21 of those deaths have been suicides. I mean, he has shown himself to be incapable of people under his custody being safe. And um, people haven't been informed that people have died. The last person that died was transferred out to a hospital, and his family was not informed until the hospital called and said, we'd like to donate his organs. Would you donate his organs? Mm. That They have a horrific culture of cruelty that they've established at that jail. And we really have to get him out of there. Well, Mickey, thanks for sharing your passions. Tony writes, in Mendocino County, I'm voting mostly for incumbents. I think they've done a good job, as can be expected in extraordinary times. Margaret writes, I support Rob Bonta for Attorney General. Anne-Marie Schubert is a hard-right prosecutor who falsely stated in an interview with Marisa Lagos that Governor Newsom's moratorium on the death penalty is not a legal exercise of gubernatorial power. Lots of people weighing in with actually strong feelings about this in terms of how they're feeling about some of the races and issues in this election. One of the things that I am struck by, we were just talking about Young Kim a moment ago, Scott, is that this is the first election since congressional district boundaries have been redrawn. That only happens every 10 years. Can you just help us understand what impact it could or or how it has impacted the way that people are thinking about the two parties are thinking about trying to pick up seats in California. Well, in, in terms of the congressional races, you don't have to live in the district in order to run from a district. That's not the case in legislative races. And so you've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, like John Garamendi changing districts and running in a district that was really designed to consolidate voters of color, Asian American, Latino and black voters thinking that that would give them a better chance to elect somebody from one of those communities. But you've got John Garamendi, a longtime veteran, running in that race, prohibitive favorite. He really doesn't have a strong challenger. Um, In other cases, we saw Devin Nunes from the Central Valley, whose district got changed to make it much more friendly to Democrats. He decided to resign, go work for Trump's social media organization, which I haven't heard about. I, th- I don't think it's doing all that well. <laughs> but uh, so you've seen a lot of like musical chairs, you know, people running for uh, in different seats. Uh, Josh Harder has moved, you know, from his Modesto area seat. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, and it's, uh, you know, in California, there there have been so many uh, Democrats elected in uh, both the legislature and in Congress uh, that it's hard to, you know, 
create too many more districts that have they're friendlier for Republicans. But, uh, you know, I think another example of that down, Mike Garcia, Republican Congress member down in the L.A. area. Mm. He beat Christy Smith, Democrat, twice. She's running again. But now that district is much friendlier to Democrats. And so and he is very conservative. Uh, You know, he's one of the people that supported, you know, the idea that the election was stolen, the big lie. So, you know, you've got it playing out in different ways, in different races. Some uh, in some cases, it could lead to one party you know, winning or losing a seat they don't currently have, you know, flipping a seat. Um, but we'll have to we'll have to see. But there has there have been a lot of movement in terms of the candidates and uh, people deciding where they're going to run and whether they're going to run. We've also seen yeah. a lot of retirements uh, from candidates who just thought, well, I don't like that district. Time for me to, to go away. But based on how things shake out for November, could California be decisive with regard to National, yeah, national it, makeup. yeah, it, it, it could yeah, because you know we we have a we have it's one of the few states where that isn't gerrymandered entirely. You know we have a citizens commission that draws those lines, and so we have what Marisa three or four seats that are really yeah, competitive, at least three or four. And I think, I mean, I mean that's just such a dramatic difference, and I think does show the power of these independent commissions. When I started covering politics in California fifteen years ago, I, I never got asked to cover congressional races. They were all sort of foregone conclusions, and it's not as if you know, all of our congressional uh, seats are flip-flopping. But, you know, when you have the balance of Congress hanging there, <laughs> four seats can make a difference. Yeah. Well, Rave, leave us with your thoughts on our message for, for voters as they think about participating, if they haven't already, in this primary election. It is always useful to vote. Uh, whether your side wins or loses, sometimes it sets up the next election. But there is never a good argument for not voting. Uh, and I hear people saying, well, I don't I don't like my choices. It's always about choice, because if you don't choose, someone else gets your gets your proxy. And I think we're practicing for November. And it is really important between now and November to to really study the national, state and local issues. This is going to be a year of history and we should all be part of making history. Rave Sonnenschein, Executive Director at the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles, a nonpartisan public affairs center. Thanks so much for talking with us. My pleasure. Scott Schaefer, Senior Editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Always great to have you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Mina. And Marisa Lagos, Politics Correspondent for KQED. Really appreciate your analysis, too, Marisa. My pleasure. See you after uh, the polls close. Yeah, Marisa and Scott are also co-hosts of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. My thanks to Caroline Smith for producing today's segment and to our listeners for weighing in with what they care about and reminding us all why it is so important to vote. Thanks for listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, 
from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. <laughs> 